Hi everyone, you're listening to Latinas with Masters podcast. Like and subscribe and comment down below. Thank you for listening. Latinas with Masters podcast is a culturally minded podcast created to inspire, empower, and educate nuestra comunidad and future generation leaders navigate the hard knocks of higher education. Hosted by me, Christina Rodriguez, founder and creator of Latinas with Masters, MBA graduate and future doctora pursuing my doctorate degree in educational leadership and on a mission to master diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the spaces we all live, work, and learn all while embracing and preserving nuestra cultura. Like and subscribe and follow Latinas with Masters on all social platforms. Thank you for listening to Latinas with Masters podcast, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Christina, and I am your host and founder of Latinas with Masters, and I have a very special guest that I've had in the books, and I'm so happy that we finally had an opportunity to collaborate on the podcast. Her name is Crystal Flores, and she's a recent graduate from California State University, Dominguez Hills, where she earned her MA in sociology. At the inception of her sociology education back in 2010 at Community College, Crystal has garnered a passion in understanding the sociological challenges and the deep and strong structures of race and ethnicity and how it spills over into equity, opportunity, and academic attainment for all individuals. Her specialty area of race and ethnicity also involves assessing social spaces, gender inequality, and social theory. Please join me in welcoming Crystal to the Latinas with Masters podcast. Hey, Crystal, how are you? Good, Christina, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. Of course. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You are a straight powerhouse. I know that we had an opportunity <laughs> to chat offline and just, you know, have a very insightful conversation of just everything that's going on as first gens, as Latinx. Um, I know you live in SoCal. I'm in the Bay Area, but we definitely have similarities of how we're navigating higher education, our careers, um, and just life in general. So I definitely would like the audience to get to know you a little bit more. So can you tell us about, about you, yourself, you know, where your family's from? Yeah, so my name is Cristal Flores. Um, I also go by Crystal because I understand that not everyone can pronounce it. Um, and I was born and raised in the OC my parents are immigrantes de Oaxaca and Hidalgo, Mexico. So representing, although I do identify as Mexicana Americana, I slowly am starting to find my identity more in Oaxaqueña Mexicana, Oaxaqueña Americana, um, because I think it's important to be more specific of your culture and be proud of that culture. And Oaxaca is such has such a rich, beautiful culture. So slowly but surely, I think eventually in time I'll go by. Oaxaqueña Americana, but we'll see. My mom was a profesora de economía in uh, Mexico. She taught at the college, she taught adults. And when realizing that how limiting really Mexico was, my mom was one of those like, like sky's the limit, life's an adventure. She ended up wanting to come to the Estados Unidos at the age of 23 with my dad. Um, 
my dad is not the same as my mom. My dad was born of a single mother and he didn't have education. The highest degree he got was a fourth grade degree, but he was uh, un pastorcillo. So he was a little shepherd's boy and he did that. And as he got older and grew older, he learned and, um, you know, I love my parents more than more than life itself. I, I love my parents dearly. And them making the way to this country is something admirable. And I don't take it lightly. And I always try to live life and make the decisions intentionally and based off of, yo, this is uh, the sum of, of many dreams and many struggles. It can't just be my own. Um, not that that's the only determining factor. Um, we are a family of six, meaning I'm one of four children. Uh, my sister is a third grade teacher and currently in her master's program as well. I have a brother who is currently in a master's program and then a younger brother at community college. All four of us are educated and uh, looking to change the world in the best ways we can. Can I tell you that I love how you broke it down? Like I'm Mexicana, I'm Mexicana Americana, I'm how do you say it? Oaxaqueña. Oaxaqueña, right? And mm-hmm. I just love that because kind of like what we said earlier is we got to get out of this mold of what all Latinos are, you know? Yeah. And I wish there was a box we can check where it says I am Mexicana and Oaxaqueña, you know? Yeah. Um, just like how I feel like too, when I check those boxes and it's like, I'm Central American or I'm Nicaragüense, right? It's like, it's either Hispanic or non-Hispanic or Mexican or non-Mexican, right? Um, And in you telling us your history about your family and everything, it's just like, you're a familia with masters, girl. You're just like, (laughs) and then my sister and then my brother and then my little, you know, it's just like, that's, I mean, I love that, right? And, And again, I'm a firm believer that your parents are just as successful, right? Your mom already was a teacher, right? And your dad has a different education, but it's not to say that an education defines someone's success, right? So they're successful in many ways. And at the same time, because they came here, you know, it allowed almost your entire family to to navigate higher education, to have a higher education, right? So I I love that story. It's so beautiful. And so- it sounds like uh, being a first gen attending college, right? Through your sister, you know, through the eyes of your sister. What is your earliest childhood of wanting to go to college? I know that, you know, your your siblings um, navigated that space, but is there something that stood out that was like, man, that's what I want to be, or, or this is something I do want to pursue? Um, to be honest, I never really wanted to, I didn't even know what sociology was. I didn't even know there was a degree after high school. I thought there was just high school. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no early memory of wanting to go to college because it was never an option for us. Meaning it wasn't, oh, I bet you get any, maybe you want to go to college. It was, you're going. Like, who bats? Who bats? It's not even about, oh, let's see, get to work, support my mom. Because even though she was a professor, the way that the education system in Oaxaca is works is totally different than the one here. That one's more of a vocational based um, Mm -hmm. process while here we're so, we're at such a liberty to pick and choose, but because of that such liberty that involves different steps and different routes. And my mom um, didn't know those steps. She just knew you're going, you're Mm -hmm. going. So there was never an option for us to be like, maybe I wanna go, maybe I wanna be this. It was always transformative language with my mom. My mom always said, no vas a ir para ver si puedes. 
es porque puedes que vas. And that's something that my mom instilled since we were little. Like we we are not just any other kids. She always she almost endowed even my dad, my our last name as a superpower. Tu eres un flores, como no que puedes, you're a flores. And so proud of my my last name because I was raised to be proud of it. But if I had to think of the most recent time where I was like, oh shoot, I gotta go to college, it probably had to be um, like for sure where after I graduated a bachelor's degree, um, a specific conversation I had with a Trump supporter, and I say Trump supporter for a reason, because he, this man who was a co-worker's husband of my sister um, had said, oh yeah, I support Donald Trump. This is what I do with my education. I work in political science. And he asks me, what do you, what, what's your degree in? And I said, oh, sociology. He's like, oh, and what are you working in right now? And I said, I'm working at Home Depot when did you graduate and i was like a year ago and in my moment i was like oh my goodness what am i doing i was not proud i wasn't even proud to say i had a bachelor's degree mm -hmm. because i was like dang what am i doing and in that moment i was like i need to go back to school i can't let this school like be like more successful than me and i have more education than him mm -hmm. so that was really the the moment that I was like I want to go back to school and I will do whatever it takes but I was at the time 27 I was 27 so um I was like I'm still young I gotta figure it out so that was the very like that I can recall the moment that I was like I need to go back to school I want to go back mm -hmm, mm -hmm. girl we both worked at Home Depot <laughs> no way I worked at Home Depot when it was the Expo Design Center in East Palo Alto and for those that are probably going to give us backlash of like Home Depot doesn't support Latinos and they hate this. Yes, I know that. But I was in community college and that was paying my tuition. OK, <laughs> um, but that's true. You know, we have conversations with people. And then when they ask you again, there's people that define people's success or their status based on education. And I've had a very similar experience in you know, me, more recently, to be honest with you, like I already had my master's and I've said this story before, but when I went to a marketing conference and this lady asked me, what degree do you have? She didn't ask anybody else that. She asked people, oh, where do you work at? What position? And then when it was my turn, it was, what degree do you have? And it's almost like everything that I worked hard for, I lived up to that exact moment for her to ask me. And when I said I have a master's, you know, she started asking about what school and where I got my bachelor's from. It was like my whole LinkedIn profile, she wanted to know. But I was so proud in telling her that she literally just walked away. Like she didn't have nothing else to say. And then yeah. I thought, damn, that sucks. You know how many people that she probably asked that question to that were Latinos or BIPOC and unfortunately couldn't say I have a bachelor's or I have a master's, you know, and, and already defined that person's success based on education, you know? Yeah. So and not just that, but it even sounds like it doesn't even matter if you have a specific degree because then you bring in the the unfortunate mindset of elitism to ask you, well, what school? Like exactly. as, as if that doesn't, like it needs to have some type of backing or affirmation or some credibility and, and that's not cool. But I mean, Home Depot, I agree with you. Home Depot helped me out. Home Depot helped me write my papers and masters. I was at Home Depot for seven years of wow. my life and I went through community college undergrad and masters all with Home Depot and uh, yeah I was there for a long time but it, I stayed there because 
they knew I was going to school. And luckily I, I did not just walk. I did not talk the talk. I walked the walk. And I was, you know, that person at Home Depot who did like everything and the manager oh, special services. Yeah. What you need yep. lumber at school. <laughs> yeah. I drove the forklift, the reach. I knew how to cut lumber, but those, that little inner circle of managers who had their go-tos, Mm-hmm. I was like the I was like the little teacher's pet for them and people really didn't like that because like oh she's a sellout she's this I'm like you know what I got to get through the temporary to get to something permanent and if that means they want me to buy them coffee during lunch so I can get off early so I can get to my class heck yeah I'll do that so yeah I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned that because for those who are listening maybe you are currently in a job that's difficult to be in but I'm telling you now and I got to just throw this out there think of it as something temporary for something permanent and you will you will find the strength to keep going absolutely that's why I say learn to pivot or learn that this is something temporary and for the longest time I felt certain jobs defined me and I was like no how am I gonna do Latino studies and I'm renting apartments what does that have anything to do with it but then I found a niche. I was like, okay, well, I'm helping Latinos find apartments. If I find a prospect that doesn't know how to speak English or is unable to you know, know their housing rights, I, I can identify with that and I can show them. So I kind of you know, looked for the positive in that. But oh, girl, I worked at AT&T, Home Depot, Wells Fargo. All those were definitely stepping stones to get to where I'm at and each, yeah. you know, each you know, retail job provided me with the flexibility that I need. But again, just like how they can quick replace me, I also was like, oh, okay, you're not going to be supportive with my school. Okay, well then here's my two weeks notice. You know, it's that easy for me. So so with that being said, what is your undergrad also in sociology? Yeah, I have this. So I have an associate's in sociology. So an associate's degree to transfer in sociology mm-hmm. and associates in social and behavioral sciences a bachelor's in sociology a master's in sociology and currently am on the road to applying to my doctorate in sociology so I'm a big sociology nerd there you go girl L- literally latina sociologist <laughs> you know but you, you know why sociology. sociology though christina because it was the only thing that I actually understood in college. This might be really weird, like what? It was the only thing I was good at. And it might be like a little over dramatic. It's like, oh no, like, no, no, no. I tried business. I tried art. I tried public relations. Sociology was the only thing that clicked in my brain. And I was like, it was the only course if you look through my, all of my transcripts that I had A's in. Mm-hmm. It's sociology. That is true. You know what? No, that's real talk. I remember, remember how I told you guys you change your major 20 times? Me and Cristal confirmed it. Like <laughs> I wanted to do political science. I was wanted to do criminal justice. I, you know, I took a couple of business class. I remember wanting to take sociology and someone, I, I let someone talk me out of it. And she was like, para que? Para que quieres sociology? There's, you know, you can't do nothing with that degree. And for some reason I listened, right? Because somehow this lady knew, like, I didn't even know who she was really, but somehow I took a liking to like the way that she was, you know, listening to me and, and just what I thought was a mentor. And then at the end of the day was like, no, 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 You don't need sociology. But I can't necessarily die so, right? And so for those that don't know what sociology is, can you explain um, a little bit about, like you said, 
you did so well in those classes. What attracted you to sociology and what did you learn in it? You know, before I even answer, I've lived in OC my entire life. This is the longest train I've ever seen. Ever. <laughs> ever. So that's real quick, really random, but anytime it's a tradition, anytime I pass by a railroad track and there's a train coming, I guess how many uh, cars are in the train. What number are you at? Right now, I guess that it was going to be like maybe seven. There were about 20 on there. Oh. <laughs> so, but anyways. Yeah. Uh, soci why sociology? Because it was the first discipline. It's one of the few disciplines whose data set is our life. Wow. It's one That's of the true. few disciplines that remove the rose-colored glasses that I've experienced my entire life and threw in my face, hey, you're living this life, but did you know that your experience of poverty, of like the different intersectionalities, like poverty, your experience as a Latina, as a brown woman, all these, as a child of immigrants is actually in fact constructed from something bigger than us. Right, I just took this uh, this really fascinating course of anthropology and anthropology and sociology are part of those life sciences. They're not a hard science like math and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and chemistry, but they said, we construct race. You know, right. we're the ones who, who figure out um, what that means, what that entails. Biology doesn't do that. Biology can give us our phenotype, their skin color, or eye color, but they don't explain why race exists. And sociology is able to take all of our experiences and break them down so they're understood in a scholarly level, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can literally, and we see everything differently. So if you take, um, a, for example, three birds on a tree, there's three birds, and next thing you know, um, two birds go away. How many birds are left? One, that's what a math major would say. A mm -hmm. sociology major says there's three birds, two leaves, suddenly there's one left. What does the sociology major say? Well, where did the birds go? Well, were there birds there in the first place? Well, were they even the same birds? Maybe the tree fell down. Like sociology looks at it completely different because what sociology does, it uses a sociological imagination, meaning we understand, and it's the intersection of biography and history, that everything around us is not just because it is. Mm -hmm. We have to look at it as if there is something greater affecting it and its outcomes. And for, so for me, sociology involves people and talking to people and using their experience. Like I can talk to you, Christina, and simply by the conversations we just had, right, about living in California, about being women of education, of having all these retail jobs. I could have written maybe five research papers on just everything we wrote mm -hmm. in different perspectives, right? I could have written about Latinos and, full, and, and you know, um, Latino first gens and uh, first time in the workforce, or I can write why the workforce seeks first gens to work for them. So it, it just gives us the tools and the ability to see beyond what just is. It explains, as it gives us an opportunity to look beyond that, to be able to better address the issues that are currently going on, especially mm -hmm. now you see the issues of 
you know, last year with George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, with COVID, why were there disparities even now with vaccines? Why were their movements like Black Lives Matter and why did they affect the way they did in our politics and spill over into our education with the legislation moving of ethnic studies? Why did all this happen? Sociology is the perfect, and I would even go as far as claiming one of the only disciplines that can speak to all of that. And the best part of sociology, and I always tell this on people, you can do pretty much anything with sociology when it comes to studying it. Say you're a business major, but business doesn't speak to you. You can study the sociology of business, the sociology of culture, the sociology of Chicano studies, the sociology of, you know, uh, uh, of sex, the sociology of LGBTQIA. You can study anything through the sociological lens. Mm -hmm. If this is not a course, it should be. I feel like I'm like the student and the professor. I'm like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. Like, if you guys can see me, I'm shaking my head. I'm writing notes, like, as I do with any <laughs> podcast. But as a Latino studies major, when I took those classes at SF State, I was like, man, a lot of people should take these classes as a basic need to learn the race, the culture, the heritage, right, of Latinos. And for the longest time... I was proud to say like, oh, I'm Latina, I speak Spanish, I come from Spain. And then I learned about Spain and then I learned about the linguistics of it. And then I learned about Catholicism. I'm like, oh shit, yeah, I'm not proud to be from Spain anymore, right? Because that's all I knew. And so now knowing what I know and I was learning about the caste system, right? And how that all started and, and, and sociology and now listening to what you're saying there was sociology within latino studies and that's exactly what it was i was looking at data based on the latino experience right in the united states you know why our families migrate you know from our country to the united states there was a lot of sociology aspects that i'm now thinking like damn i'm all thinking like i'm just reading a latino author book about you know enrique's journey or about you know but now I'm like, that is sociology within that narrative, right? right. Um, and I know we talked about this or have mentioned it before, but tell me your take about starting ethnic studies in high school. I know that now it's a requirement through the CSU um, right. system, or it's going to be a requirement by a particular, I believe it's 2024, I believe. But how do you feel about ethnic studies in high school? Because I honestly did not get any of that in high school other than, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month is what they call it, right? Or Cinco de Mayo. And that was like the only thing that I got a little bit of Latino in my high school. Right, and you know what? You're very fortunate because I didn't get any of that. I went to school at a very affluent white school even though I was not affluent or white. And I didn't even know, crazy enough, people don't believe me I did not even know the term Latinx existed or Chicano until 2010 mm-hmm. after high school. I didn't know those were words. And then up until recently, uh, inclusive pronouns, I didn't learn that 2016 mm-hmm. because I wasn't exposed to that. But you know, within ethnic studies, I feel, and this is just a personal opinion, I've, I've spoken to a few faculty members that I've, I've had and that I've worked with within the sociology department at community colleges and we personally think that it should have been sociology instead of ethnic studies 
Mm. And I'll tell you why, because ethnic studies, and I, I've never taken an ethnic studies course, specifically ethnic studies, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I took like intro to ethnic studies, but I did take an ethnicity course for something else. Mm -hmm. um, you bring into, it, obviously it was aimed at making the CSUs and those who leave CSUs more confident. Those, what are they called? The golden four, right? You have your math, your science, your English, mm -hmm. and then something else. And now you have the fifth one, which is the culture studies. But what that originally is, was meant to do is showing that anyone who graduates from the CSUs are competent enough to enter different academic or professional spaces that they've completed these four things. That's why the, those are the four requirements. But adding ethnic studies, I can see as helping because it's supposed to, it's supposed to be a response to you know, uh, furthering equity mindedness and a cultural response within the classroom, which I get. And I think that's a great idea, but I don't think it should be solely with that because you have to be able to also speak to how society has framed ethnic studies. You have to see how society itself, how we as a society have constructed these ideas of ethnicity, of race, of gender, of class. We did that. Mm -hmm. No one else did. And we continue to perpetuate this ourselves in the classrooms, in the job force, in conversations. That's why, you know, not to go too far off of it, we will never really address these issues of race and ethnicity simply by saying, oh, this is a required course. Oh, for sure. And then you have people, you have parents who are more affluent and white who don't want their kids to take these courses because, well, why does my kid need to learn about the black experience? They're white. Mm -hmm. But if you use something a little bit different like sociology, sociology is very, is kind of like that unbiased, that middle friend where it's like, I'm not saying what I do, mm -hmm. but I can do what ethnic studies does. That's why even now many professors, we're gonna see a spike in um, professors in the schools wanting to work in ethnic studies, even though they're sociology majors. So this is an excellent opportunity for those who want to become professors to get into the job market when it comes to ethnic studies. Because if you can teach sociology, you can also teach ethnic studies. Mm -hmm. No, you bring up a lot of good points there. It's just like, even now as a mother, right? I'm constantly instilling ethnic studies or Latino studies or sociology or whatever that looks like for an eight-year-old, right? I didn't get exposed to that. I didn't, I got exposed to what it is to be Nicaragüense, right? Born and raised in San Francisco and, and, you know, the way that my parents, you know, came to the United States and everything that they were doing, but I didn't get any of that curriculum in, in elementary school or I got Christopher Columbus, you know, that I was somehow so proud of until you get older and you're like, oh shit, Christopher Columbus, is that's what he really did to us? He's a monster. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean so, he didn't just find the islands of America? What do you mean he actually committed genocide? Like, what do you mean? Exactly. But that's too late. And, and I forgot to mention yeah. that, Christina, is if they were going to implement it at the CSU levels and slowly spilling it into the high school level, we need to start addressing these issues by even elementary school, oh, but sure. middle school for sure, because middle school, you have, at least in California, the ability to take electives. Although my sister, who is a third grade teacher, even at the elementary school level, 
it might not be a legislative uh, part behind it, mm -hmm. but they are starting to have a cultural responsive curriculum. And currently that's something I did training for and just how important it is to be culturally responsive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, and like I said, I just, I, I run across, knowing what I know now, again, in my doctor program and learning about all the curriculums and hidden curriculum and why schools were created, it makes me hate K through 12 <laughs> education, right? Mm. But, you know, all I can do is, okay, when she comes home, now this is her education. This is what I have control and power in. And I, and I see that my daughter also questions things. Oh, at school, they told me this, but I remember you told me this, you know? And so- how do I talk to an eight-year-old where she understands, you know, but I'm not confusing her. So it's hard as a parent too. Um, but I, I totally agree with you, girl. I feel, I swear, I, we should start our own academy. <laughs> we should start our own like workshop because I remember just meeting people and they were, they would ask me like, oh, what do you do in Latino studies? What do you learn in Latino studies? Not really understand it. So I constantly felt like I was explaining myself, but yeah. then we have conversations and they see how I'm able to, you know, flow with the conversation or have an intelligent conversation. And then they're like, oh, I didn't know you knew that. And in joking, I'll be like, like joking, but not joking. I would say that's what Latino studies did. That's that was my education at SF State, you know, like, hello, how do you not know the basics? But not everybody has access to that, you know, so that's why they question it so much. Right. What does sociology do? What does Latino studies do? Right. Because right. they don't have not even the intro to that, you know? Right. And you know what? That's something that I tapped into in the very beginning, even beginning the Latina sociologist page is the fact that higher ed and what we learn in higher ed is so exclusive to those who can even afford higher ed. Exactly. And there's, a pair, there's like this idea that all first gens, because you're a first gen, you are at some degree going to school, that's not necessarily the case. And beginning Latina sociologist really was to make the higher ed sociology accessible and relevant to the everyday person. And even holding uh, live lectures on my Instagram live and really taking students in that course that couldn't afford it at the college to even it, for it to be an elective was a driving force as to why I, I do this page. No, I love your page. And I know we'll definitely get into that because when I reached out to you, I was like, oh, okay, hold on a second. Like I learned something here. Like this is something very unique, very different, right? That attracted me, you know, as just someone who's also learning and going through higher ed space. But I love the idea of here, you know, I am bringing higher ed sociology to those who may not have access to this information. And you're right, this is definitely a privilege. This is another privilege that certain individuals, Latinx, first gen definitely have, you know, but what can we do in return? How can we change that? And right. I honestly feel like it's this generation, you know, like I've met so many people that even within myself, you know, I got into my doctor program thinking, oh, I want to be a professor. Or I want to do this. I want to do that. Right. And then I'm, I'm being pissed off as hell, learning hella stuff. And I'm like, hold up a second. I'm challenging this. I'm disrupting this. I don't like the way that's just because higher ed says it has to be this way. Who says it has to be this way? Like, why are we accepting this as the normal, as the norm, right? If this is not working 
for Latinx, if it's not working for BIPOC, why is this still a criteria? Why is this still an admission process, right? And so right. When, when my professor had asked, you know, like, what does everybody want to do? Everybody was like, oh, I want to do admin. I want to do higher ed. I want to be a counselor. Those are all great. Don't get me wrong. And then it was my turn. And I said, I want to be a motherfucker disruptive. <laughs> I want to be disruptive. Like I literally cussed. And she looked at me like, oh, okay. Yeah. Let's help you get there. Like what you need. You know? And then she started saying, so what you want to do is you don't want to really say that in an interview, she goes, but what you want to do is use these key words, right? Um, and so again, yes, you have this goal and this mission in mind, but have it where in a way it looks like this, you know, because we do have to get into the higher ed space to be at the head of the table so we can say, oh, we're changing this now. Like, yeah, we did this for like 150 years. Yeah, I don't think we should do that no more. Like, that's how I see myself, you know? Uh. And so now that we've discussed what sociology is, right? I hope everybody has a full understanding now or a little, at least a little bit enough. Enough for them to get interested. And enough, let me look it up. Correct. Like, you know what? Sociology looks cool. Let me go uh, peep that out. So what challenges did you experience attending college? Do you feel that those are the same challenges that exi exist now for college students today? Um... I had to pick maybe the two biggest challenges would be one, um, having to navigate the college experience predominantly on my own because, and I'm not talking about just familial, like with, without my parents, but even without friends, because I feel like when you, and everything, challenges are going, to, are going to be either unique to every individual or they might be similar or they might overlap. But one of the biggest challenges with me is really finding a community where I felt like I belonged. Because in high school, you are, I come from an affluent school. Um, little white folks, all teachers were white. I didn't have my first Latina teacher till my master's program. I didn't have my first a BIPOC teacher till two years after high school. But even through that, you know, I went to Santa Ana College, which is predominantly in Santa Ana. Like everyone there is like, for the most part, predominantly Latino. I didn't fit in there. I didn't fit in with the students, with the Latinos. I didn't fit in with the white folk. I didn't really find a community to lean on, to find that support. Um, even my extracurricular activities, I didn't feel like I belonged. And I never understood it was because, yo, uh, you're first gen and intersectionalities exist. And not only are you the daughter of immigrants, but you're really, really Americanized. So even when I fit in and say I'm going to school and other people went to school, I just, it was not on the same page. It's like, oh, well, I have to struggle with this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, but I don't, you know? So that was a big challenge for me. Um, and I still, still think it, it faces a lot of young people today. Oh, and then the fact that I'm Catholic, I'm a very practicing Catholic, mm -hmm. which a lot of people get really turned off of because, and I found that Latinas, because I was part of Mecha, I was vice chair of Mesa Cooperativa and Umbrella Org at Cal State Fullerton. Mm -hmm. but they were no longer were a person uh, with a religious affiliation because of, you know, Christopher Columbus and um, colonialism and, 
like chingona, chicanas, which is all great, but it was definitely, they thought against the Catholic tradition. So you bring in that frame and that was even more of a challenge, right? And I think that's still a challenge today for, for people because I see it. I see people reach out and see like, oh, do you know where I can check out maybe a Newman club that isn't all white people? Like, I think the intersectionalities within people are what make challenges. That was like the first for me. And again, that's something per that's a personal challenge that I went through. But the other challenge I went through also was working while going to school. You know, we talked about this. You you worked your way through college, through Home Depot, through AT and T. Girl, my first job was at McDonald's. Then I worked at In and Out. Then after In and Out, I worked at Pollo Loco. Then I worked at a shoe place. Then I worked at two jewelry places. Sometimes I worked three jobs and going to school full time. And I didn't have a car, so I had to walk to work. I had to take the bus everywhere. O sea, I worked so that I wouldn't have to ask my parents for money. Because I felt like if my parents are already paying rent and they're already letting me even go to school, I need to figure up the rest of myself. But I missed out on a lot of stuff because of work. I missed out on club opportunities, extracurricular opportunities. I missed out on internships. And I missed out a lot on that college experience because of work. And I feel like that's something that um, the that this generation or this new, those kids, those teens or young adults or adults who are still in college for the first time kind of lose sight of. And I feel like there's opportunities for orgs and uh, clubs and, um, you know, yeah, those school, school orgs to make those accessible to them too. Mm -hmm. Students who work at, who work and go to school at night, why are there not events at night for them? Why can't they have clubs for them? Oh, say out. Even grad students, you know, because I work in the most grad programs are in the evenings. We don't get to have all that fun stuff that the other school, that the entire school gets during the day. Like I want to do Club Rush or I want to go to the, um, you know, uh, farmer's market, but I'm in, I'm at work. Mm -hmm. So that was another challenge is, uh, is working my way through college because I wanted to make sure I had enough that I didn't have to ask my parents for anything. And you miss out on a lot. So then when, and when you don't have those critical opportunities of extracurricular activities, you're really left kind of like a skin and bones kind of resume and college mm -hmm. experience. I'll say, I, I think those experiences de la carne, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to be like, oh, I'm a full bodied college student. I'm enrolled in all these things. I do all this. I was able to figure it out, but it wasn't until I had a car and I was no longer doing public transportation. No, I definitely feel like those are definitely challenges that are existing today. I can tell you because those are in my inbox every day, right? Of how do I get more experience or how, how can I make the best out of college or just stuff like that. And hey, girl, don't be wrong working at McDonald's and In-N-Out. In-N-Out was popping when I was in high school. This girl I knew that was driving a Mustang and she was making 15 an hour. And I was like, what? You make 15 an hour? You drive a Mustang? Damn, I want to work at In-N-Out. So, you know, because we saw her work and we're like, okay, you got to work hard to get what you want. You know, not everything yeah. going to be handed to you, right? Um, right. No, but I definitely, I mean, that is so true. And I say this all the time is that take advantage of, 
you know, those on-campus services or those clubs, I definitely did not have those experiences. Right after class, I went straight to work, you know, and when on the days I wasn't in class, I was working an eight-hour shift, you know, and so I didn't join a sorority. I didn't join clubs. Um, most of it was pride. So I was like, you know, I, I just got stuck with the way sororities were on MTV when they had that one show and then in, in movies, I was like, oh, ain't nobody going to tell me what I need to do. Ain't nobody going to check me that I got to do some shit. You know what I'm saying? It was more just <laughs> the perception of what sorority was, you know, but then I meet Benjamin, you know, from Ben the Advisor and he has the, uh, the Greek Life podcast and he talks about, you know, the fraternity and how it's a familia and all, you know, and, and just the networking. And I'm like, man, I wish I had that. I wish I had a group of sorority sisters because I ended up meeting, you know, one of my best friends later on when I went to city college and she was part of a sorority. And then she introduced me to her sorority sisters and they, you know, they became friends and are still friends even after, you know? Yeah. So I definitely relate to you. And I think it's relatable of, Hey, I'm here. Not only going through higher ed at first gen, but also really without any friends that I can really associate myself with because I'm constantly working or I'm at home studying or, you know, you're doing all yeah. these things, you know? And so I, I think that's definitely relatable right now. Before we transition into your career, I want to know, with that being said, was there someone that you, that, that you would say was your mentor during college? Um, someone that you know, really gave you the consejo that you really need to, again, just kind of, you know, make those decisions that you needed to make, rather that's, you know, in mm. school or your career or anything personal that you're going to, someone that you're like, you know what, I'm going to ask this person because this person might give me a different perspective that I may not see. Mm. I didn't have a mentor. I had, I didn't have mentors. I think I had people in my life who in specific moments, played a key role in kind of changing the trajectory of my life when it came to academics. Like I said, I didn't know there was a bachelor's degree. I thought you graduated high school and that was it. Then I found out about associate's degrees. I got my associate's degree in like six years because obviously the system is HHS is serving institutions like are not really real, mm -hmm. but whatever. That, by the way, stay tuned. Huh. Huh? Proceed. <laughs> I mean, it's true. They're not real. And you see people staying in college six years more than they technically should. The title. No. no. And um, I didn't have someone tell me that there was a bachelor's degree. But I, when I went to the Cal State Fullerton, I had this professor name. And I won't say her full name, but it's her name was Dr. T. And she uh, had actually wanted to meet her students in person. So you had to, it was for a sociology research methods course. She asked to meet every student to come by her office hours for 10 minutes and talk to them. First day of class, she asked who Elliot Roger was. I raised my hand, I said who Elliot Roger was. And as you know, he was the, the shooter at, uh, what is it, Santa Barbara, in Santa Barbara, when that stuff was going on. He was the in, incel killer. Um, he did like this whole manifesto saying, I'm going to kill all the blonde sorority girls because none of them find me attractive. So I had watched a documentary on that stuff. And when she had asked that in class, I told her I dropped facts pretty much. So when I met her in my office hours, she said, what are you planning on doing after bachelor's? And I said, uh, I don't know, finding a job maybe. And she said, you don't want to get a master's degree. And I said, 
I don't even know what that is. She's like, it's like a degree after this. And I said, probably not. Like, I think you have to be pretty smart for that kind of stuff. And she said, no, she like sat me down. She's like, Crystal, you are one of the brightest students I've ever met. You need to get a master's degree. You belong in the master's program. I was like, yeah, okay. And years later, I ended up emailing her, telling her, thank you. But my other mentor, my first wasn't till recently with another professor who works uh, in LA, Los Angeles Community College District. He's kind of just been that mentor for me. And he is always like willing to talk to me and always argue with me. And I bring stuff up to him. But if I had to pick a specific person that I went to for everything, it was my mom. Mm -hmm. My mom, because uh, she took it upon herself to be that which I didn't have. And my mom, this is really embarrassing, but I was going to fail seventh grade because of my math course. And they brought me into the school and the counselor was like, yeah, she's, she's going to repeat seventh grade. She's not going to pass. And my mom's like, what does she need to do? With my mom, con todos who broken English, she was going to school. And after school, she would be sitting with me in the kitchen going over. And she's like, I didn't understand anything, but I had to try. Mm -hmm. And my mom believed in me and my mom's the person I go to and she's honest because my mom's a very, very intelligent woman. Being a college professor and still um, educating herself, even now she's not a professor anymore. I highly value her, her academic experience and, and, uh, and uh, advice. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. I love that. And that's something that as a mother... I want my daughter to say, you know, my mom, you know, and I value my mom. I look up to my mom, you know, we, uh, we have, I have a different experience with my mom, but nevertheless, I learned from her mistakes. I learned through her experience, right. Of what not to do. Um, definitely paved the way. So, you know, me and my siblings can have a higher, a higher education or, you know, not take housekeeping jobs because she couldn't, uh, you know, apply to anything else. Cause she didn't have a degree, you know, at least in the United States, she had the degree of, secretaria you know in Nicaragua but they don't value that here right it's just like oh okay yeah you don't have a degree you know um and so that's something that I'm instilling in in my daughter you know of and, and I love seeing the videos on Instagram and people tagging me when they're having conversations with their daughters and and just they're so smart you know they're just very like I want to do this I want to do that you know I honestly feel like I should you know have an Instagram page of like Giselle Chronicles of my daughter because now she wants to be a tennis player. And now I'm looking up, okay, what are the top tennis schools, you know, in college? And what are the Pac-12 ones? And what do they offer? And, and all this stuff, you know? And it's just like, I'm here to support my daughter in anything she wants. Tomorrow she can yeah. drop tennis and be like, I want to be a painter. I'm like, great. Let's look at the top painting schools. Let's, let's look at the top art schools. You know, what school encompasses yeah. art in high school, whatever that looks like, right? So I'm definitely there with you and your mom. Um, as and I'm as happy that you're doing that. I'm happy you're doing that with your daughter because it's going to show her not only one, that she has a support system, but two, that um, you can achieve whatever you want and, and your goals are. And that's okay. It's okay if you switch them off because one thing I think we're always becoming. Mm -hmm. We never stop becoming. We're always becoming to the next version of ourselves. And seeing my mom being able to reinvent herself over and over and over again um it's like when i tell you 
honestly, Christina, one day ojalá conoces a mi mamá si Dios quiere, because my mom is just one of the most woke people, you know, being that, that she's from, from Oaxaca, where the tradition's different, she's willing to learn. And, and I'm happy. I'm sure your daughter is very proud to have you as her mom, without a doubt in my mind. Girl, you're gonna make me a Chiona in like two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I so, say this as a daughter, because my mom did that for me and, and helped build that relationship. Like, you know, my mom did the same thing you do for your daughter. She didn't know, she's like, yo no sabía, pero ahí va. I went to go ask, and it takes a level of humility for a parent to say, I don't know, but I'll ask you and humble themselves enough for their daughters. And that's something I, I say a lot to my daughter is, you know what, Giselle, I don't know, but let's find out together, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. her thing is, you know what, mom, you know what we should do? Can we go to Barnes and Nobles and can we find a book on Serena Williams? Cause I saw, I let her watch an HBO. We were watching HBO Max sports edition of Serena Williams and it was a series and you know now she feels connected to Serena Williams now she's like oh what's her daughter's name how old is her daughter now because that was videotaped like a couple years ago right so I wonder how old she is now you know like she's comprehending that these are narratives of someone's life and it's evolving so how can I evolve with this little girl how can I evolve as a tennis player you know right it's just like man she's only eight years old you know and so again I just I just love hearing stories like that so let's talk about career because this is something that I get asked about a lot. I got my master's. Now what? You know, how do I, how do I start looking for a job or how do I, you know, um, relate my master's degree towards the job that I would like? So can you talk to us about how was your job search like after grad school? Mm. Uh, it's been tough because I graduated. I just graduated in December. So oh, wow. we're still, you're fresh. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a little baby graduate. I literally just graduated in December. Um, so as of right now, I graduated mid pandemic. And that I think is a whole other beast because alone job markets and job searching for a job is a job in itself It's a full-time job right. because you are writing resumes. You are figuring out what is the mission? What is the what works for me? Am I applicable for this? What's the culture there? So it's a full-time job looking for a full-time job. And that's the first thing that people should remember and help them when it comes to entering it. It's not as easy as let me just jump in here. I have my master's. My name is Crystal. When can I start? It doesn't work that way, right? Because it's also about connections, right? I was just having coffee with a friend of mine and her husband is a doctor over at Chapman University, like a really prestigious university here in California. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's about who you know and who they know. Really, ultimately, that's what it is. Um, I'll be real though. What I currently do now is not in the plan, but I clean offices with my mom. I'll clean a house with my mom because that's what got me through college is helping my mom. So I, right now, because I, I'm not currently working, mm-hmm. I help my mom do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also am taking opportunities to build that resume, right? With all this free time because of the pandemic, I've been helping La Causa to get people vaccinated. I've been helping, I just joined a board for environmental justice here in the OC. I'm part of their, I'm a board member there. And then I'm also helping um, first-gen students apply to college and financial aid. All of that's free work, but I can put it on my resume. Absolutely. And so it's about, it's not about how can I find a job, especially now during COVID. It's about what can I do so I can get that job? 
And it's not about what I'm selling, but why I'm selling it. It's not about, hey, I'm selling this. I have a sociology degree. I'm not selling that. I'm selling, hey, you want someone who's charismatic, who can bring education into a very accessible and approachable way, who is not only a culturally responsive, but equity-minded teacher. That's who I am. Boom. It's all yeah. about that. Especially now in California, this is the best time to be a Latina. I'll say this because they are currently looking to move in diversifying faculty at community colleges. Mm -hmm. And what's more diverse than getting a BIPOC who studies sociology, who's had training in these different things. And I, right now I'm co-teaching at a community college. That's not for free. I'm actually getting paid for that through an internship, yeah. but I'm building that resume already. So when COVID slowly, si Dios quiere, gets out of here, and we all go back to our regular scheduled programming, I can now say, this is what I did. And during a pandemic, because that's a big thing. I think people downplay, oh, it's a pandemic, or it's a pan dulce, it's a whatever. But you still were goal-oriented and thriving within the pandemic. You could have let it put you down, set you aside, and just be like, I can't find a job in sociology, that's it. I'm just gonna chill here. No, I was doing things to build up that resume. Cristal, can I tell you that you're dropping realness? You're you're becoming too real for me, girl. Like when I said be real, I mean she's like, listen, to be honest, <laughs> I'm cleaning houses right now with my mom. Ain't nothing wrong with that. And this is what else I'm doing. And what I love about that is you're creating your own lane. And that is like my biggest message in life with people is don't wait for an employer to say, Cristal, I want us to now make workshops on sociology and blah, 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 blah. Or Crisal, I think we should do this now. You know, like I, for the longest time would wait for employers to offer what I can offer to our community. And then right. after that, I was like, what that? You know, like I can do workshops now. I can reach out to higher institutions right now. I can reach out to Crisal right now. I can reach out to all these organizations right now. I don't have to wait yeah. for anybody to give me the green light. The worst thing they can say is no, but I'm always the type of person that when I hear a no, I don't hear like a no. I hear like, oh, okay, not right now. Okay. I'm gonna holla at you in a couple of months. You know what I'm saying? And then bam. Hey, since we last talked, I've actually done X, Y, and Z. Do you see this now in your plan? Do you now see this, you know, in your trajectory with your company? And then they're like, you know what? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And whatever that is. Right. So I love that message of not necessarily of this is the job that I'm looking for, but what can I do to get that job? What experiences are you creating for yourself to build up your resume to now say, this is what I have done and this is what I can offer you, right? So again, right. you're not selling your master's, you're selling these transferable skills that you've been building up your entire life and they're very much um, relevant right now. And especially during a pandemic, like I remember, you know, like housing right now is just crazy, right? With the pandemic. Like I know this whole thing of like, let's cancel rent. Let's do this, let's do that. Listen, like to a degree, I, I, I agree and disagree. And that can be a whole nother conversation. But when I hear people say like, oh, you know, I don't know if I can find another job, you know, because they're, they want to find another job prior to COVID, right? With how things were being done traditionally, right? With how we manage our properties, with how we do budgeting, with how we do social media. But then not, now I'm telling them, no, you can say I managed 400 units 
during a pandemic for 18 months. And this is what I did, you know? And I made sure that we had funding. I made sure that the residents were communicated about the CARES Act. I made sure that that message was blasted across all social media forums. I made sure that the residents were aware of their, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. instead of thinking of it as one thing, no, the pandemic is a blessing in disguise. And you should definitely use that to your advantage to say, in a crisis, this is what I know what to do. And that's exactly, exactly what I'm able to say when we talk about when when Texas was going through the whole power outage, you know, I was thinking of like emergency preparedness mode. Here are my tips that helped me when I was managing a property when we had the fires here in San Bruno and in Napa, you know, right. and it's very much relatable. No matter what type of crisis or emergency it is, it's an emergency preparedness kit. And I went into like preparedness mode, you know, so again, finding those opportunities, whatever your niche is or whatever you can provide to the community, use that to your advantage on how you can help a company or create those opportunities for yourself. So I love that you said that because that's changing your mindset. That's mindset changing. In right. Itself. Right. So and to re uh, sorry. Okay. And just to ultimately put that to remember when you ask what, what the career search with the career that jump from now first gen students and first gen professional is ultimately remembering that it's a hearty, you have a hearty meal every day. You mm -hmm. get a bunch of no's. I've gotten so many doors closed on me and I'm just like, you know what? That's fine. That's fine. But it shouldn't like, it shouldn't discourage you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Don't, like I said, don't let those opportunities, you know, it's a blessing in disguise and yeah. it happens for a reason. And when one door closes, another one opens, literally, I know everybody has heard this saying, but it is so true. I've had a lot of no's, you know? And I'm still getting no's with Latinas with masters, but I know what I have and I know the value and I know the narrative that I want to provide, the voice that I want to provide, you know, amplify your, your voice, you know, your narrative. Somebody's going to relate to this. Someone's going to listen to this and be like, damn, you know, like I needed to hear this. I'm going to get my master's or man, I, whatever it is, it's, it's, there's going to be a message in this conversation that's going to help someone. And that's exactly what both of us are doing in our own spaces. Right. Um, but it, like I said, it, it, if anything, to me personally, it's what drives me, you know, when I hear the nose, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I will have it. Like, you'll see, you'll be knocking on my door. It's cool. You know, <laughs> and to each his own on how you get, you know, driven and stuff. So what advice would you give to our community wanting to pursue a master's degree? Um, my advice would be, uh, It's not about what people around you want. It's what you want. Mm -hmm. And you have to want it enough. Mm -hmm. You have to want it enough to put yourself in positions of humility to ask, to set aside your pride. You have to want it enough to put in that hard, difficult work. And you have to want it enough to acknowledge that it's going to be difficult, but a pesar de eso, you're going to go for it. And wanted enough that that means that it might not be within five or five or ten years. It could be longer, but simply wanting it enough is is what's going to give you the that drive to push forward or to even begin is to want it enough. That is so true. You definitely have to want to get your master's degree. You know, don't do it for somebody else. You know, again, you're going to have your different reasons, but 
reason number one, and it should be the strongest reason is because you want to get it, you know, and what you see yourself doing with your master's degree, you know, or what you plan on doing with your master's degree. So I, I absolutely agree with you. So I loved our conversation and I definitely want people to, you know, have an opportunity to get to know Cristal and your uh, social pages and all the projects that you're working on. So can you tell us where our audience can find you um, if they want to reach out for guidance, advice, or even just be a part of, you know, the projects and everything that you're working on? Yeah, currently you can find me at Latina Sociologist on Instagram. It's spelled exactly how you've heard it, Latina Sociologist. And uh, although my feed looks a little sparse right now, I'm active almost three times a week on my live, either giving a lecture, doing a get ready with me where I'm tackling issues of femicide. We're talking about issues about race and why Black Lives Matter can actually be bad for the Black community. We talk about so many issues that are going on um, just in the news and like, let's, let's debunk it. Let's talk about it. Let's digest it together. Let's answer some questions. And you can also find me most currently on the Compassion Collective, which is an ecumenical community that I started with a friend of mine uh, in pursuit of a response to social injustice uh, from the religious point of view. Now we're not there to, to throw any type of things in people's faces because the belief is your belief and that's what it should be. But we're here to say, hey, do you want to make the communities around you better? Hey, at one degree, do you believe that this stuff is wrong? Well, let's uh, let's respond to it ASAP. And it's more of an emergency response kind of community. We recently started collecting books for the migrant children here in Long Beach. We are collecting new books. We're hosting a book drive. And next week, we start our toy drive, which all new toys will be donated to the migrant children who are at uh, Long Beach currently. So those that's where you can find me at both. Oh my God, girl. I love it. I love it. I love it. My husband's family is from Long Beach and I'm actually planning on visiting Long Beach in June. So I'm definitely going to hit you up if I have to personally deliver those toys um, and those books. I love everything about that. I'm all about helping the community, especially los niños, you know, yes. uh, and, and that's something that I tell my kids all the time, you know, you know, in Nicaragua, you know, in Mexico, you know, there's kids out there that don't have that. And I know I say it kind of rough sometimes, but now my daughter's like, you know what, mom? you're right. I didn't think about that, you know? And I don't mean it like in a demeaning way, but it's just like, again, I, I just give everything to my kids without, you know, having them to work hard for it. And then I have to check myself and be like, hold up a second. There's kids that only yeah. have one pair of shoes, you know, or one un juguetito to play, you know? Right. And my kids here want all these toys and stuff. So I love, you know, that definitely humbles me and, and brings me down to reality. Um, so I love that. But thank you so much, Cristal, for uh, having this insightful conversation. I felt like I felt like I was at the at a seminar with you, you know, having a, a conversation. Oh, thank you. I love it, and I definitely foresee us collaborating more and having these, you know, difficult conversations, and not like you said in a, in a demeaning way, but just to educate our community, so you know, we can each have our own perception, and we can, you know change our mindset and kind of think about, you know, whatever we're kind of going through right now to kind of go through that and, and have our own, our own thoughts about it, you know, with having discussions, right, with, with our community and different people that we may not think, you know, we would be able to have these conversations with. So 
right. thank you so much for your time. Um, and uh, please uh, look out for Latina sociologist. I'll definitely have her information on my Instagram post and on my website at latinaswithmasters.com. And thank you everyone for listening. And I will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you.